We're so glad you could join us for mornings at YCBC today. We want to thank you for being a part of our online family and we hope that this message encourages you, blesses you and helps you grow in your walk with him. So let's get into the word. Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning to those in the building. Good morning to those that are watching online. Um, It's awesome to be with you this morning. Now, a story to start with. When our two eldest girls were little, Hannah and Rachel were little, we lived on a farm at Wee Jasper and Neil did all the maintenance on the property and um, but the paddocks were leased to sheep farmers. Now when it came to docking the lambs or shearing or anything like that, we'd take the girls down to watch. So one day we're down there and they're docking the lambs and there's this pile of tails that's getting bigger and bigger. And Rachel was looking at the pile and she's looking at the farmers and the lambs and she's looking back and you could see the cogs ticking over in her head. And then she asked, Mummy, why are they taking the tails off? Well, I wasn't sure what to say, so I just said to her, well, the sheep don't need them anymore. So then she asks, Mummy, when the sheep need them again, will they put them back on? Now, all I could picture in my head was the farmer standing there with a tail, trying to find which sheep it belonged to, stitching it back on, and then going back for the next one to try and figure out which sheep that one belonged to. And none of that really has anything to do with our passage this morning, except that it's about sheep. And all I could think of when reading this passage this morning was that if Jesus had been the farmer, he would know exactly which tail the sheep own which which tail belonged to which sheep in John so far this series we've been reading about Jesus being called the word the lamb the living water the bread of life and the light of the world and now here in chapter 10 Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd so let's pray before we get into God's word this morning Lord, we thank you that we can gather together today, whether it's here in the building or at home. We thank you for the gift of technology that makes it possible to be together while we're physically apart. Lord, help us focus on your message this morning, whatever that is for each of us. I pray that through my voice, people will hear your message regardless of the words that I use this morning. Lord, we thank you for your gift of your words through the Bible. Thank you that we can have such ready access to it. I pray that we never take that for granted, but instead take advantage of it every opportunity. Lord, help us see through the message this morning about your son, Jesus. Amen. So our passage this morning, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, and he does this because the leadership of Israel was failing. Israel was not being led by good shepherds and this was reminiscent of a failing line of kings that Israel had earlier in its history which I'll speak a little bit more about later. Here in Jesus' day though the leadership was in tatters. There were a few groups vying for leadership of Israel. The Sadducees were a group of Jews who controlled the temple and they were all about social, economic and political position and carrying favour with the Romans. The Romans were all about oppression and exacting tribute from the land and the people um, of Israel and any other land they conquered. Then there were the Pharisees who were the most involved in the day-to-day life of Israel. The Pharisees are the focus of the story this morning. They were leading the people of Israel but were so focused on following the laws that they forgot love and grace and mercy. 
It reminds me a lot of a line from one of my favourite movies. One character says to the other, The line of kings is broken. There is no strength left in the world of men. They're scattered, divided, leaderless. And the other character replies, There is one who could unite them, one who could could reclaim the throne. My kids have just sat up and started listening to me this morning. And if you are watching online, we'd love for you to put in the comments what movie that is from. And if you can name the characters too, that would be awesome. I can't offer you a prize, but we'd love to hear from you this morning. So the leadership of Israel was broken. The people were scattered, divided, and the leadership was terrible. But there was one who could unite them, one who could reclaim the throne. And along comes Jesus into this world. He was the good shepherd, the one who would lead them well. Now, while this passage is focused on leadership as the Jesus, the good shepherd, we as sheep have a response to make. We could be sheep that follow Jesus or we could be sheep that choose to be sheepish and turn away. Our passage this morning has three settings. The first part of this passage follows on from chapter 9 where Jesus has healed the blind man. Steve spoke to us about that last week. The conversation flows on from the end of chapter 9 where the blind man has told Jesus he believes in him and he worships Jesus. The Pharisees thought Jesus was a madman in chapter 10 verse 20 but others in verse 21 said these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And that concludes that part of the story. The second section of John chapter 10 finds Jesus at another festival. We've talked about a couple over the previous um, sermons in this series. This one's called the Feast of Dedication or Hanukkah, which was the celebration of the rededication of the second temple. And that happened about 160 BC. So we get a definite time and place in history for this part of the story. And the last few verses of chapter 10, Jesus changes location again and he's gone across the Jordan River. So chapter 10 is really connected to chapter 9 where the Pharisees were challenging Jesus about healing the blind man on the Sabbath. As a bit of background, in the time of Jesus, the Pharisees were leaders of the day-to-day Jewish life and education. They had emerged uh, as a distinct group of about two or three, uh, two centuries before Christ, helping their people adapt to a post-exile world. They believed in the law of Moses, recorded and written down that we have in our Bibles, but they'd also developed their own oral law um, and they held it as high or higher as scripture. Their oral law was a set of laws that all Jews had to follow and the Pharisees were the ones who oversaw that in the community and taught it. I don't think it's a simple matter of saying that all Pharisees were terrible people and that the leadership of each one was evil. They were people just like you and I. But as leaders as a whole, they had strayed from God's world, word sorry, by introducing their own oral law and they'd become legalistic in it. In their leadership, they'd become cold and critical. They'd forgotten justice and mercy. Or at least the ones Jesus addresses here are like that anyway. Jesus challenges them and tells them they're not leading Israel well and that, and that really didn't sit well with them. Their legalistic leadership is highlighted back in chap, 
chapter 5 as well that Nick's previously preached on when Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda. Instead of rejoicing in the man's healing by Jesus, the Jewish leaders persecuted Jesus because he had healed on the Sabbath. And again, Steve told us last week in chapter 9, when Jesus healed the blind man, the same thing happened. This was because the Pharisees saw themselves as gatekeepers. Like the gatekeeper at the door of a sheep pen, all things in Jewish life had to pass through them for their approval or disapproval. So Jesus' healing on the Sabbath was an affront to their leadership and their status in the Jewish community. They were the ones who decided what the people should be doing, not Jesus. In this chapter, Jesus is addressing the Pharisees and challenging their leadership. From verse 1, he says, lost my bookmark. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes on ahead of them and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. This passage uses this image of a sheep pen, an enclosure with one gate into it. There was only one way in or out. The sheep would be inside and the shepherd would sit at the gate. And if there were several flocks belonging to several different shepherds, there would be a gatekeeper who would sit there and he would know each shepherd and would know that they had sheep inside and would only allow them in. The enclosure provided protection from animals that would prey on the sheep and also from thieves and robbers who would want to steal them. With only one way in or out, if a predator or thief wanted to get in, they'd have to climb up and over the walls, sometimes they were six feet high, to get in. But the Pharisees didn't understand what Jesus was saying. These days, we might muster the sheep on a quad bike, revving around the paddock to bring them in. In biblical times, the shepherd was out with them on foot all day, guiding them to good pastures. They worked so much closer with the animals. The sheep got to know their shepherd and would respond to his voice. If there were several flocks in the enclosure, all the shepherd would need to do is call and the right sheep would come to him. But the Pharisees didn't understand this. In verse 7, Jesus makes a statement, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. Throughout John's Gospel, we hear these statements of Jesus. As I've already said, we've looked at Jesus being the Word, the Lamb, the living water, the bread of life, the light of the world, and I am. Now he refers to himself as a gate and in verse 14 as the good shepherd. The Pharisees didn't know what to make of this. They thought Jesus was just mad or demon-possessed, but why couldn't they understand what he was saying? Well, Perhaps they didn't understand because the Pharisees would not have associated with the shepherds. Shepherds were considered unclean and therefore the Pharisees would not have associated 
them, with them. The shepherds weren't allowed to be at the synagogue or temple because they were unclean. But I don't think that was the issue. Um, I don't know about you guys, um, but I'm sure that even if you've never been on a farm, that you probably understand this imagery that Jesus is using. So I don't think that was the issue. Perhaps they didn't understand the figure of speech Jesus used. It says in verse 6 that Jesus used a figure of speech. We've got figures of speech in Australia that others overseas probably wouldn't understand. I guess if you said flat out like a lizard drinking or if you said someone had a kangaroo loose in the top paddock to someone from America or Europe, they wouldn't have a clue what you're talking about. But Jesus was talking to people from his own country in his own language and they still didn't understand. The reason they didn't understand is that they did not believe in Jesus. This wasn't the first time they refused to understand. In chapter 8, verse 47, Jesus spells out the problem. Chapter 8, verse 47 says, Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. They could not hear because they did not belong to God. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. They were not the true shepherds. The Pharisees had hardened their hearts and blocked their ears towards Jesus, causing spiritual deafness. While Jesus was using symbolism to explain this, he was not speaking in a language that they didn't understand, but they'd become so absorbed in their law, in their do's and their don'ts, that their hearts had hardened to that love and grace and mercy. The ironic thing, though, was that it was the group of Jews called the Pharisees who believed that there was a Messiah coming. The Sadducees running the temple didn't, yet when the Messiah was walking among them, they did not hear him or see him as the one who would take the throne. In Jesus' own homeland, in his own language, these people did not understand him. When Nick spoke last time, might feel like a long time ago now, but it actually wasn't that long ago. The Pharisees were in a bubble. No thought other than that what they had already decided was truth could enter the bubble. Anything they disagreed with or made them uncomfortable couldn't enter the bubble. So when Jesus challenged what they saw as truth, they ignored it and decided Jesus was mad or demon-possessed. If Jesus was the Messiah, then their reign as the leaders of Israel would be over. They felt they were so right in their laws and traditions that they did not want to acknowledge Jesus' teaching when he said they were wrong and that their time as leaders was over. I said earlier that this was reminiscent of an earlier time in Israel's history. Around 600 years earlier, Ezekiel was writing about Israel. The line of kings of Israel had ended when Babylon and Assyria invaded and sent all the people into exile. God spoke through Ezekiel, telling the leadership of Israel that they were not good shepherds. If we look at Ezekiel chapter 34, verses 1 to 6, um, and that says, The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you shepherds of Israel who only take care of yourselves, Should not shepherds take care of the flock? You eat the curds, clothe yourselves with the wool and slaughter the choice animals. 
but you, but you do not take care of the flock. You have not strengthened the weak or healed the sick or bound up the injured. You have not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You have ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth, and no one searched or looked for them. Here we see similarities between Israel's leadership then and Israel's leadership in Jesus' day. The leadership of men had failed back then and now again in Jesus' time. And Jesus says that they are just like hired hands in verse 12 um, of John 10, which they cared nothing for the sheep because they didn't own them and they would just run away in times of trouble. They were not the true gatekeepers and shepherds of Israel. They were strangers to God's sheep. In the second part of chapter 10 from verse 22, Jesus moves on to the festival of dedication and they still don't get it. Jesus says they do not believe because they are not his sheep in verse 26. They still don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. They still think he is breaking their laws. They try to stone him and seize him, but Jesus gets away. Human nature, unfortunately, has not changed in 2,000 years. We still have leaders and others who don't understand or listen when the words of Jesus are spoken. The truth seems obvious to those of us who want to believe. And sometimes we just don't understand how people can't accept the obvious truth of who Jesus is. We still have leaders that look to their own gain instead of serving God in their leadership. Like Ezekiel's day and Jesus' day, we have leaders who do not strengthen the weak in society and rule harshly. Today, those leaders can be elected by vote, installed as dictators. They may inherit the rule of a kingdom or an empire. Or these days, we also have self-promoted leaders without a country via social media. Almost anyone can be a leader crossing over international boundaries. We still have leaders who are so worried about right and wrong that they forget love and grace and mercy. They live in those bubbles and are so convinced of right or wrong that they ignore all else. We still have those who refuse to see Jesus as the Messiah, the good shepherd who came to lead his people. They are spiritually deaf and just like those hired hands that don't care for the sheep. But our leaders are human. And they're subject to all the human faults that we have that have existed throughout history. There are good leaders, don't get me wrong, but we expect so much from our leaders that they often disappoint us and we see their faults. Jesus was critical of the Pharisees' leadership. They were so caught up in those laws that they forgot why they were observing them. The Pharisees had their laws and believed that if the people followed them, they would have a full godly life. But they used fear and intimidation to get the people to follow them. We read in chapter 9 that the blind man's parents were terrified of being thrown out of the synagogue for believing in Jesus. The Pharisees offered a life bound by human rules and regulations overseen by the Pharisees. Jesus came and said that those that believed in him and followed him would not only be saved but would have a full godly life a full life 
not bound by the laws of the Pharisees. A full life not bound by that Pharisaic bubble. Like I said, this is not the first time that the leaders of Israel had failed. The line of kings had fallen into disarray hundreds of years before Jesus was born and we read in Ezekiel about what happened. But then further on in chapter 34 we read that a Messiah, a Saviour was coming, a good shepherd who would lead the people well. God says that he will remove those shepherds that are leading his sheep astray and he will care for them himself. So back over to Ezekiel 34 and we're going to read verses 22 to 24. I will save my flock and they will no longer be plundered. I will judge between one sheep and another. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. The reference, of course, doesn't mean David literally. David was long gone by this time. But Bible scholars know that this was a reference to God's servant who was David-like in his rule, a descendant of David who would come to rescue God's sheep, and that is Jesus. Jesus, he is the good shepherd, the one who will save his sheep from thieves and robbers. He is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, John 10 verse 15 tells us. Jesus was speaking of a shepherd laying down his life at the entrance to a sheep pen, guarding them from anyone who would attack the sheep. But he was also speaking of an event not very far away where he would lay his life down literally on the cross for everyone. In John ten eighteen, Jesus says about his life, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it back up again. Jesus would ultimately do this on the cross. But Jesus didn't just die on the cross and stay there. He rose again, overcoming death. He has authority over life and death. He's a risen, living shepherd and saviour. What is amazing is that he wants to share that with his sheep. John ten twenty seven to 28 says, My sheep listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus is the true shepherd. The shepherd gives life to his sheep. Whoever follows him will be saved. Whoever follows him will have life and have it to the full. He's able to do this because he is God. He could claim to be the gatekeeper and the good shepherd because he is God. Further in chapter Um, In the chapter, in verse 30, it says, I and the Father are one. And over in Colossians 1, 19 to 20, it says, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. This would be an audacious claim if it wasn't true. Yet all of Jesus' life and teaching showed that it was true. He is the good shepherd, the servant of David predicted all those years ago, The chances of Jesus being only eight of the things that the Old Testament said the coming Messiah was meant to be is a one in ten to the power of 17. That's a ten with 17 zeros over it. 
And yes, someone actually sat down and worked that out. But Jesus fulfilled dozens and dozens of prophecies. He is everything that the scriptures told us that he would be. He is God. He is the Messiah. He is the good shepherd that Ezekiel said would come, the one that would lead his flock to salvation and a good, full life. In John 10.37 it says, Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. Jesus is saying that his works back up his words. His works back up his words. Not just the miracles he performed, but all he did to promote God's purpose. He didn't just say he was God and then do nothing to back it up. All he did proved he was God and promoted God's purpose. Jesus was not a fake. He was the real deal. All he did proved who he was. He is holy and fully God. Jesus and the Father are one and they are both one with the Spirit. Now the idea of Jesus being God and also being human is hard for us to get our human heads around. And the idea of a trinity with the Father, the Son and the Spirit all being the same but different, it, it's hard to understand. Those concepts though are supernatural and our human minds struggle with understanding it. I would say if you're struggling with that, to ask God for peace as you trust him in it. We don't need to understand how it works in order to believe and have faith in God. But all the evidence for it is in the Bible. God's word says it is so because God is trustworthy in every other way. So we can trust him in this. So when Jesus says that the Father, Son and Spirit are the same but different, I can trust him. So when you look at a math son, um, I've been maths nerd in the past, not so much now, but there's a sum. One plus one plus one equals one. The father plus the son plus the spirit equals one person. The maths doesn't work in human terms, but in God's terms it does and we can trust him in that. And Jesus and the Father are one. Jesus is the good shepherd and he's with us day and night to help us in all our questions and in all we go through. In Jesus' day, the shepherd would be with the shepherd, day, be with the sheep day and night. A shepherd would lead the sheep during the day and at night protect the sheep with his own body. One of the guys who leased the paddocks of the farm that we lived at didn't even live nearby. He only came when there was stuff that needed to be done with the sheep. The shepherds of Jesus' day didn't just come and check on them from time to time. They were with their sheep day and night. Jesus was talking about a shepherd who is always with his sheep. His sheep followed him and were with him day and night. Those sheep got to know him so well that they could recognize his voice and know when he was calling them. Then he can lead them to that life, that full good life that they can have. At the same time, the sheep need to follow the shepherd, not in a tick the box kind of way, not in clicking the button and moving on to something else kind of way, but follow. Each step of the sheep needs to follow the steps of the shepherd. The sheep have a full life 
if they follow the lead of the shepherd. There will always be thieves and robbers who will want to keep Jesus' sheep from having that full life. False teachers, the thieves and robbers Jesus is talking of in verse 1, don't announce themselves. They don't flash a big light to tell you that they're going to lead you astray. They are subtle and sneaky and may hold some element of truth. Just like sheep who get to know the shepherd by being with them, with him day and night and, fo- and knowing him. The more time Jesus' sheep spend with him, the better they can hear his voice. His sheep need to talk to him, listen to him, read his word and know his voice. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep, he calls them by name. There are those who won't believe, but to those who do, Jesus offers eternal life. The Pharisees in this story didn't want to believe. In the last part of chapter 10, we read that Jesus then leaves Jerusalem and travels back across the Jordan. In verse 40, we read, Then Jesus went back across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing in the early days. There he stayed, and many people came to him. They said, Though John never performed a sign, all that John said about this man was true. And in that place, many believed in Jesus. These people believed. John the Baptist had already died at this point, having been beheaded by Herod. Yet the people remembered his teaching. John had taught the people well of the coming shepherd. John's teaching had the voice of the shepherd. So that when the true people, true shepherd came... The people knew his voice. These few verses at first glance might seem they're just kind of tacked on to the end of this story with the Pharisees, but they're put there with a purpose. It was meant to sit in direct contrast to the rest. That change in leadership from the Pharisees to Jesus. Those that thought they knew it all and didn't didn't understand what Jesus was telling them. But those with open hearts who heard the shepherd's call believed. As Gentiles or non-Jews, verse 16 of chapter 10 is of great importance to us. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. That's important to us because we are those sheep. The Pharisees thought a Messiah was coming for the Jewish people. God had a much bigger plan in mind. Jesus came as the Messiah for all people, for all time. And that includes you. Jesus came to live, die and rise again for you. Not just people 2,000 years ago, not just people of the right family, but everyone. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever. Anyone that believes in Jesus will not perish and have eternal life. God loves you that much. From the moment you call Jesus' name and believe in him, you are made whole and flawless in God's eyes. All we have to do is believe. Sometimes we might be hesitant. Surely it can't be that easy. If I could just see God at work, then I will believe. 
Have we ever asked God, just show me a miracle and I will believe? Or have we ever asked God, please show that person a miracle so they will believe? These Jews we read about in the Bible were seeing Jesus' miracles firsthand, yet they did not believe. If Jesus wiped the COVID pandemic from our world right now, there would still be those that would not believe. Maybe that's because we are so secure where we are that the thought of accepting something new prevents us from changing, even when the evidence is right before us. We are secure in our bubbles. The Jewish leaders of the day liked their place of power, so they did not want to yield to Jesus because that would be to give up their status and position in society. We can point the finger at them and say, how could you? But then, what are we hanging on to that we are unwilling to surrender to God? He is the good shepherd. He has life for you. Not just an ordinary life, but a life full of abundance and a life that is eternal. If we would only surrender it all to his hand, if we would give it all to Jesus and believe in him, he has a full and abundant life waiting for us. Jesus is the good shepherd. He wants you to know him. He wants you to give life, live life and live it to the full. Not a life full of riches, beauty, good health, but a life full of joy and peace, a life rich with life. If you would like that gift of life and to know more about it, you only need to ask. Jesus knows you by name and wants to be your shepherd. For those of us that are already sheep, keep listening to his voice. We hear it through God's word. We hear it through prayer and listening. We hear it through spending time in worship. We can hear his voice through other sheep who Jesus knows too. If you feel he is silent and keep Please keep your faith and keep pressing in more and more to listen. Keep pressing in and listening. He is there. We also need to keep testing the fruit of what we hear. Be discerning. If we are unsure of the voice we hear is Jesus, then test the fruit. Matthew 7.20 tells us we will recognise false teaching by its fruit. Jesus is the good shepherd. He wants us to have life and life to the full. And if we follow him, the fruit will be good. And if you want to hear more about testing the fruit, then I'd encourage you to look up Nick's sermon series from last year on the Sermon of the Mount, and um, that's available on the church website. Jesus is the good shepherd, the one who will lead us perfectly and the fruit will be good. But if we put all our hope in human leaders, then we will always find disappointment. Human leaders were never meant to be perfect because we were always meant to follow Jesus, who is perfect. We were always meant to be Jesus' sheep. We were created in God's image with an inbuilt need for him to be our shepherd. Our burdens were never meant to be carried beyond Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Our lives and work become full when we lay all our burdens at the foot of the cross and we follow his voice and become his sheep. Now sheep have got a pretty bad rap over the years. We've had several potty lambs in the past and an individual sheep has just as much character and personality as any other pet we've ever had. But you put a whole bunch of sheep together and they can become some of the silliest creatures. They seem to lose all sense of self and just want to be part of the mob. 
Vocabulary.com calls this being sheepish. It says that sheep aren't the smartest, most confident creatures. They're always clustering together as if they're ashamed to be alone. When you're sheepish, you're like a sheep, embarrassed and not confident. The word sheepish can be used to describe how someone looks or acts. If you wear a sheepish grin, you're embarrassed. Similarly, if you're feeling a bit sheepish, you're probably wanting to hide away from the world. If you are acting sheepish, you probably don't want to take responsibility for your actions. I'm afraid humans can be pretty much the same. As individuals, we can stand out from the crowd and that in that way we're sheep. Yet put us all together and we can be as silly as a mob of sheep, wanting to be part of the crowd and not wanting to take responsibility for our actions. We can be sheepish. So my question for you as I close today is, are you a sheep or are you sheepish? Do you follow the shepherd as a sheep or are you sheepish and want to hide? I want to encourage you to be a sheep and follow the good shepherd to step out and follow him, to engage with him, to talk to him. If you aren't a follower of Jesus and you would like to be one, all you have to do is ask. He's waiting for you to respond to his voice. He's waiting to give you eternal life and life to the full because he loves you so much. Now, you don't need anyone to do that for you or with you, but if you do want someone, please ask. We're here to help. If you're a follower of Jesus, then keep pressing in to listen. Keep being a sheep. Keep listening to his voice. Keep stepping in his footsteps and enjoy the life he has to offer. He wants us to do that. He wants us to enjoy our life. It's in life that is not bound by our circumstances. And we can enjoy it because Jesus is the good shepherd and we follow him. So let's close in prayer. Oh Lord, thank you. Thank you for coming as Jesus. Thank you for loving us so much that you were willing to die for us. Thank you that you rose again and you want us to have eternal life with you. Thank you that all we have to do is ask and we can become one of your sheep. Help us to keep listening to your voice even when we think you are silent because we know you are constantly calling us. Help us to read your word so we can follow you and know you more and more. Help us as we come up against things we can't get our head around or understand. Help us trust and believe in you all the more when that happens. We pray for our leaders, Lord. We know they are not perfect and often disappoint us, but we want to pray for them. We pray that each of them would know you as their good shepherd. We pray that God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for your will to be done in our town, our state, our country and our world. We pray that for ourselves too, Lord. We pray for help in hearing your voice and your call in our lives and we look forward to living that good, full life with you. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. As you head back into your week, we want to encourage you to stay in his word, stay in his love, and stay strong in your faith. Don't forget to keep up to date with what's happening via Facebook, Instagram, or via our website at ycbc.church. See you soon.